Welcome to the Top Flight Podcast. My name is Esteban Bailey, and I'm joined today with Ori Benatar. How are you doing, Ori? Doing all right. Uh, not a great day of soccer today. I mean, we got two shootouts. Uh, my blood pressure was uh, not handling it very well. But I thought, I thought we could have gotten better games. I thought the games on Saturday were a lot better. But so far, a pretty good start for dramatics in the round of 16. Yeah, we're going to keep this one short, especially considering that I don't think you or, or I want to discuss certain results uh, very in-depthly. But uh, yeah, it was a very interesting weekend of knockout stage soccer. Uh, clearly, I think Friday was probably or Saturday was a lot better than today. However, today had just so much drama that, <laughs> I mean, it, th- we'll get to them. Let's just start with the first one. France versus Argentina. It was billed to be the best game of the knockout rounds. Uh, it had, of course, legendary players like Messi. It had just two powerhouses in the global stage competing in the second round. And it did not disappoint. It was a 4-3 scoreline by France. Argentina is going home in the second round. What did you think of the match? Amazing. It's been the best game of the tournament, I think, at top Spain, Portugal. France winning 4-3. France. This was the France team that we've wanted to see all tournament. They looked you know, fast, they were attacking, they were just excellent in midfield. I mean, that fourth goal they scored, Mbappe's second, was just picture perfect, all the way from the back from Lloris, passes it to Conte, gives it to uh, Griezmann, back killed to Matuidi, Matuidi to Giroud, Giroud threw ball to Mbappe, finished far post, beautiful goal. One of my favorite goals I've ever seen in a World Cup. Killing Mbappe was a star. Incredible performance. Only one of two teenagers to score two plus goals in a World Cup knockout round. The other one is named, I don't know, Pelé. <laughs> so maybe Mbappe is the next, is the French Pelé. I don't know. He has that potential to be one of the best footballers of all time. He's easily going to be one of the best footballers in the world in a few years. He's only 19 and he's just been incredible. It was an amazing game, but you know I expected France to win. I, for a second, I thought Argentina might have been able to steal it on those two uh, goals, but France really showed why they're one of the best teams in the world and probably the big favorites to win. Yeah, Mbappé was amazing. I mean, his initial run to get the penalty in the first half that gave uh, France their first goal uh, was Michael Owen-esque. It was so wonderful, and it was crazy that the Argentinians were playing with such a high line against the French speed. However, you know, you're right that this is the French team that we've been waiting for, the one that's brutal on the counterattack, that just is ruthless with their finishing and their incredible array of young talent, but... You were, you know, they, they were, you know, on the ropes there for a little bit, giving up that second goal early in the second half. And of course, that Di Maria Golasso right before halftime, which I don't understand why any of the French players did not close him down. We understand that Di Maria hasn't been very good for the last couple of years, but you can't give a player of his quality that much space. But yeah, you know, this was, you know, a pretty great French performance. Mbappe was incredible. I think, you know, Arsene Wenger also made the conver- comparison a couple of years ago when he was trying to sign. Mbappé to Arsenal that he could have been he could be the next Pele like he's that talented of a player and Pogba just recently said that Mbappé is much more talented than he is and I you know the sky's the limit with the French team and it's clear now that I think I think you and I are going to agree on this that France is now the number one favorite to win the World Cup especially considering all the madness that's happening on the other side of the bracket yeah easily I mean they're the most talented team that's left They had the best performance in the round of 16 thus far. Obviously, we still haven't seen Brazil or Belgium or even England. But now they're they're by far the most talented team. I think they're more talented than Brazil because they have their fullbacks have proven themselves worthy of, you know, Lucas Hernandez has looked good. Benjamin Pavard with an maybe the goal of the tournament. I think that's the best goal of the tournament. I think that was better than Nacho's goal since it was higher. The technique was just slightly better. He got his foot higher up. 
Pavard showing, you know, this guy plays for Stuttgart. He's going to get signed by a big-time club this summer after just a goal like that. But he's been looking really good. And France is easily the best team. And if Mbappe continues doing what he's doing, there's no telling that it's going to be easy for France to win this World Cup, especially with the quality on the other side of the bracket that they could be facing in the final. France might have their toughest opponent in the semis in Brazil or Belgium or maybe even Mexico. So... France is easily the best team in the tournament now. I think even when Spain was still in it, they were the best. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with that logic. I mean, they're, they're, I still have some reservations about this French team. I think uh, the Argentinians, the fact that they were able to score a couple goals on them shows that there is a small weakness at the back. And if, you know, France is a little conservative at times with their play, it took until that Argentinian goal to allow the French to actually, you know, express themselves and to show up because uh, it seemed like they were going through the motions in the first half. But you're right, when this French team is on its game, when they're going for it, when they have the intensity to just attack and attack and attack, Mbappé is a, an amazing tip of the spear because he has players like Griezmann, Dembele, or you know even Giroud and Pogba, all these players around him that can either pass him the ball or he can just fi- uh, lay it off to them and they can finish it as well. So this is a pretty devastating team. Clearly they made a me- they've, they've given a strong message to uh, the rest of the tournament. But let's move on to the other game that happened on Saturday, Uruguay versus Portugal. Now, I don't want to, I, listen, I don't want to talk about Spain and Russia for too long, so I will not subject you to talk about the Portuguese uh, defeat oh, to I'm, the Uruguayans. I'm totally fine ranting about it. I don't mind. Well, well, you know what, here you go. Take, take a moment. I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Just tell me your feelings. Go go through the well, motions. I mean, Portugal was just, was just bad. I mean, they weren't able to find I mean, they weren't able to find any space in the Uruguayan defense. Uruguay has the best defense in this tournament. They are super organized. Godin, Laxalt, Jimenez, all those guys have been tremendous this tournament. The only goal they've conceded is off of a corner kick, which is a Pepe header. But the Portuguese midfield has had no way of getting the ball to Ronaldo. And I think that starting Bernardo Silva was a silly mistake by Fernando Santos. He should have started Ricardo Quaresma, a guy Ronaldo has been playing with for more than a decade. Has the chemistry. Quaresma and Ronaldo, had, they were syncing up well against Iran. But this was a disappointing tournament for the European champions. You see the way Portugal played. It's like, how did this team win the Euros? They almost lost to Spain. They barely beat Morocco. They just snuck with a draw against Iran. They almost lost that game. And then they come out against Uruguay. But Cavani is amazing. If you give any space to him or Suarez, they are going to score all the time. The PSG players were unstoppable that day. Mbappe and Cavani, even Di Maria, played good games. But a lot of people are going to say that this was Ronaldo's best World Cup. I don't think it was. Sure, he had four goals, but three of them were because of set pieces. The other one was because of a David De Gea howler. I still think his best World Cup was his first one in 2006 when Portugal finished in fourth place because he had a role. He was creating for other players and he had support with Figo and Deco and Manish and Pauleta. He had support with him in that 2006 team. No one could get him the ball. Ronaldo got back to get the ball more than Messi did, but I just didn't see it from Ronaldo. Also, Messi playing on a false nine against France. What was that about? That was a very silly decision. Ridiculous. He couldn't touch the ball. Ronaldo barely touched the ball. Disappointing. Disappointing from Portugal. Yeah, actually, you know what? Let's. I want to talk about Ronaldo and Messi together on this because they they both went home on the same day. Both had somewhat disappointing tournaments. Regardless of the fact that I don't think anybody realistically thought that either Portugal or Argentina could 
realistically win the World Cup. However, you know, Messi was a little disappointing in his play, uh, although you could obviously say that was because of the system and the coach and the players around him. It was ridiculous that they were starting, uh, it was a Meza and uh, Di Maria on the wings, and of course, Messi as a false nine. A false nine against France doesn't make any sense. Just put in Higuain or Aguero so they can have a focal point. And why didn't they play Dybala? Like Dybala, even though he has a similar game from Messi, it's okay to have two, two types of Messies on the field, especially against a France team that you need to move them out of their uh, comfort zone in the box with their defenders in order to get some space, in order to score. So, I, you know, whatever. It was ridiculous. Anyways, but with Ronaldo, it was, it was very interesting to see how the Uruguayans were able to defend for basically the entire game without really giving Ronaldo any real chances at goal. And we'll talk about the quarterfinals a little later, uh, but that's something that we should look out for with the French game against Uruguay, because Uruguay, as you mentioned, have the best defense. And it's not just that they have, you know, Diego Godin and Jimenez at the back. I mean, of course, Godin is a, a, a brick wall. He, you know, it's hard to get past them, and Jimenez is, is like a smaller brick wall, but it's even harder to get past them. So it's, it's, they're a really good team, and there is obviously the injury question mark with Cavani, as he was, uh, he had to be limped off the the game at a, after getting, a, I think, a hamstring tear or something like that. They haven't confirmed the test, and the coach of Uruguay is not sure if he's going to play in the quarterfinals. But you know, Cavani and Suarez, those are two dangerous strikers. Suarez was really strong, even though he didn't score. He had that amazing assist to Cavani to score uh, the opener. It's, I think Uruguay is very dangerous, and especially dangerous to France, because I think they, they match up very well against France. Yeah, that's going to be a really tough game for France. I mean, the key to that game for France, if Mbappe can break down their defense and run at their defenders, then France can win. If Mbappe can't do that and they defend well against him and Mbappe goes into a shell and doesn't use his speed and his, his uh, soccer IQ to get by the Uruguayan defenders, then Uruguay is going to win the game. Because the French defenders are a little lackadaisical. They're a little arrogant at times. You're going to need Pogba to defend more against the Uruguayan midfield. And also with Suarez and Cavani, you cannot give them an inch of space. You give them one inch of space and they're going to score or they're going to pass to the other to score a goal. So it's the best defense against probably the most talent, the best offense in terms of a unit from midfield to up front. I still think Brazil has the most talented uh, strikers and attackers. But the last two times Uruguay have played France in the World Cup, they both ended in 0-0 ties. 2002 was a nil-nil, Thierry Henry got a red, and in 2010 it ended in a nil-nil, and a Uruguayan player got a red. So it's going to be a chippy game, most likely. It could be penalties, I don't know. Right now, I'm stumped on who to pick. I'll let you guys know on our podcast on the 4th when me and Ashley discuss the quarterfinals. But Uruguay and France should be a, a very physical game. Yeah, it should be exciting. All right, now let's... Let's move on to today. Today was uh, not as much fun in terms of football quality, as we mentioned earlier in the show, but let's talk about Spain versus Russia. Now, I gave you a few minutes. I'm just going to go really quickly about this. This was ex exactly what I was afraid of. Everything that I thought was going to happen for Spain in this tournament happened before my eyes. I felt like I was watching a car crash and I couldn't do anything about it. Uh, David De Gea does not play well for the national team. I think two tournaments has shown us that he's not very good for the national team for whatever reason. Uh, the Spanish tiki-taka tactics don't work anymore. Uh, it's clear that they're just either not coached properly or that they just don't have the kind of players that are able to, or the kind of strikers that are able to make the runs that allow for more direct play. The game was ridiculous to watch as the Spanish were passing from side to side, trying to break down a really packed Russian defense. And it was ridiculous. And of course, 
De Gea couldn't save the penalty that uh, Pique was a moron to give up. I don't understand in this World Cup, as we've seen countless amount of times, why any defender is putting their hands up in the air at any point. It doesn't make any sense. Pique is a smart defender. He plays for Barcelona. He's won the Champions League several times. This is not... This is a rookie mistake, and he made it at the worst possible moment. He gave Russia a lifeline. He allowed Russia to play the game where they're just going to sit back and then hit them on the counterattack, and it terrified Spain all game. They weren't able to do anything, and, of course, they go out on penalties. Now, there's, a, there's always this joke that England stinks at penalties. That's true. They do. But Spain also is ridiculously terrible at penalty kicks. They have lost three times in the World Cup, just as much as England, on penalty kicks. They've lost in the European Championships a few times on penalty kicks too, including against England in 1996 in the Euros, which that's hilarious in and of itself. I just don't understand why the Spanish team with all this amount of talent is so stubborn and so arrogant with their tactics, their style of play, and their inability to actually just beat down opponents that they are superior against. So that that's my rant. I'm, I'm sick of the Spanish team. God. I, yeah, I'm sick of watching them. I'm totally in agreement with it. The, the, the tiki-taka style sucks. That's it. It worked in 2008. It worked in 2010. But it did because you had a striker to make those runs. Like you mentioned, you had Fernando Torres or you had David Villa or Daniel Gisa in 2006. It doesn't work anymore. Why are you going to pass the ball a thousand times if you're not going to shoot? The, the more you pass around the box... You're allowing Russia to bring more men behind the ball, allowing them to defend and not give up a goal, yeah. which is ridiculous. If there's any fans of any of the 32 teams that are out of this World Cup right now, I think the Spanish fans should be the most frustrated because at least Germany won a game and at least Germany attacked in that game. Spain were horrible. They almost lost to Morocco, got lucky to beat Iran, should have beaten Portugal. Spain was pathetic. The yeah. tiki-taka doesn't work. They they don't have a striker. And the amount of passing, you complete a thousand passes and it goes to 120 minutes. Spain should have won the game in regulation. And now Russia's in the quarterfinals. It's ridiculous. And also Spain stinks against host nations for whatever reasons. They get the yips and they don't know how to break down a tie. Oh my God. They just can't break down defenses with this tiki-taka anymore. It used to be that Spain could break down any defense in the world. It, even if it takes 119 minutes, they will score in the 120th like they did in 2010. They used to always be able to break down any defense with the tiki-taka just because they were able to get players out of position so that they could go through the lines. But that doesn't happen anymore because teams are smarter about about this clearly there needs to be some kind of change in the Spanish Federation especially in the leadership since because as I wrote in the you know as I wrote a few you know, weeks ago before the tournament Spain fired their coach before the day before the tournament started and that was it that was the end of the tournament it was clear from then on that this Spanish team was not going to do well of course I was completely fooled by the 3-3 against Portugal Portugal I guess wasn't that good either so like it's just it doesn't make any sense that I would have put so much emphasis on okay Spain is going to do fine they were able to almost beat uh, Portugal they made a couple mistakes but they'll get over it it's just a couple stupid mistakes no every game in this tournament Spain made a stupid terrible rookie error and that doesn't make any sense for the quality that they have on their team. And it's clear that there needs to be institutional change in the Spanish Federation. It is ridiculous. And I'm, I'm saddened for Andres Iniesta, who is, I'm not a fan of his because he's from Barcelona, but I respect him and I respect his uh, contributions to the Spanish game. And the fact that he has to go out of international play on this performance is just truly, truly revolting to me. Yeah, strong words there. Couldn't yeah. agree more. All right, now this let's... Is, yeah. 
This is one of the biggest upsets in the round of 16 history that I've seen. But there were some questionable non-VAR decisions that were made. So a lot of people were hint-hinting that Mr. Uh, Mr. Vladimir Putin was behind the VAR. So I would buy that I'm for a dollar. I'm I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it right now. I'm not implying it. If Russia gets to the final and there's some questionable calls, then I'll start to question stuff because I don't know how this team got to the quarterfinals. I don't I know. I really either. don't. Yeah. I mean, but it was you know, a deserving when they took better penalties. They took better penalties. They did. They did. And look, it's 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 unfair to say that Russia didn't deserve to go through. Yes, they played negative football. Yes, there should have been a penalty because Ramos and Piquet were both taken down in the box. Whatever. You know what? It's a World Cup. I mentioned it earlier that they were going to get some calls that were going to go their way. That is to be expected. But the fact that David De Gea let in a penalty underneath his chest, that says it all. That was this tournament he, in a nutshell. He made one save. Made one save the whole tournament. It's like a Joe Hart caliber tournament for David De Gea. Unbelievable. Ooh. Is the best keeper in the world. I can't say that anymore. I mean, I, he yeah. is, obviously, because he, you know, that Manchester United team would be nothing without him. But still, on the international stage, he made mistakes in Euro 2016. He made a mistake in Russia 2018. I, I don't know what to say about this guy. I think he's got the yips or something for the, for the national team. But I, I don't... <laughs> we got to move on. We got to talk about the last game, which was entertaining in the beginning and entertaining at the end. And that was... Uh, Croatia versus Denmark. The first five minutes of the match were insane. Just two goals out of nothing. Uh, I thought the game was going to be a barnstormer at that point, but no, it ended up being kind of a slow, methodical kind of game. Denmark was trying to hold tight. Croatia was trying to break them down, but they weren't really going at a quick tempo. Uh, the extra time was more or less the same, except until the final three minutes of the match when Luka Modric gave in such an incredible through ball. I just, you could see it, you could see the window, and he, he got it right in there that uh, set on the Croatian striker. He was able to get around uh, Kasper Schmeichel, but then he was fouled in the box uh, before get, tapping in the open goal. Modric came in for a penalty, and he missed it. Kasper Schmeichel was able to save it, and then it had to go to penalties, but Croatia was able to progress. Uh, they made three penalties. Uh, Suvisic was incredible. He's made three saves against the Danish uh, attackers or Danish uh, strikers. And uh, Croatia is now into the quarterfinals going against Russia. My God. Yeah, that, that was one of the... That was one of the worst penalty shootouts I've ever seen. I mean, the only good penalty was from Simon Kiar, who just rifled it into the roof of the net. Every other penalty was low or no power behind it. And if the keeper is guessing right on all those penalties, he's they're saving all of them. Yeah. But I, everyone was compelled to root for Kasper Schmeichel in Denmark after the penalty save. Matthias Jorgensen, that was the smartest tactical foul I've ever seen. And also, it was not a red card because of the rule change of double jeopardy. If a defender is going after the ball in a scenario like that, it cannot be awarded a red and a penalty. It has to be one or the other. So he got a yellow, and he would have missed the next match if Denmark would have won the shootout. But that was a genius tactical foul, and Luka Modric, that was the first time he's really been put into a position where he's the one that had to try and win the game for Croatia. He cracked a little bit. His penalty in the shootout was also terrible. Right down the middle, Kasper Schmeichel just dove. So Eriksson had a bad penalty. Croatia just winning in the shootout. Croatia disappointed me. I thought they were going to play a lot better against Denmark, but Croatia better turn the Jets on and break down Russia if they want to prove to everyone that they are a legit title contender because today did not prove it at all. The, the group stage did, and they look great in the group stage, but it's a reset now. You don't have any points anymore. Now it's just about getting results. Croatia barely got the result today against Denmark, but Croatia-Russia will be... 
I hope it's not a snooze like the two games were today, but I kind of feel like it will be. Yeah, you know, let's because like there's not really a lot to talk about with this game except for the beginning and the ending. Uh, so I, I, I let's let's move on to the quarterfinals because I want to talk. Let's talk about Croatia Russia. That's going to be a pretty big, uh, crazy quarterfinal in my opinion. Just because not because the quality of the play is going to be any good. We know that Russia is probably just going to try to hold the line against uh, Croatia as they did against Spain. However, Croatia is definitely more proactive than Spain, so maybe there might be some uh, some goals <laughs> for Croatia, but. I'm deeply worried that Russia is going to make the semifinals now uh, just because of that Croatian performance. I, yeah, I don't think it's, uh, it's out of bounds. It's out of reach. We've seen teams defend their way to titles. We saw Portugal do it at Euro 2016. We even saw Spain kind of defend their way to a World Cup title in 2010. They won all their games 1-0. Nothing's impossible in this World Cup. This World Cup's been crazy, unexpected. I mean, Russia hasn't made, uh, Russia's only made the semis once when they were the Soviet Union in 1966. Croatia made the semis in 1998. Anything's possible. Russia can win this game. But if there's more questionable decisions that you could say, I think that you should be using VAR, then it starts to get a little fishy, a little bit. Yeah, I'm already a little fishy about this tournament. (laughs) Because with the Olympic scandal, you're thinking something is possible. I I think Russia's had a great effort. They've played awesome. They've been playing amazing. But there's some stuff out there that will make you think, hmm, is this a South Korea situation in 2002? I don't know. But now there's no excuse for the refs to not make bad calls and penalty decisions because... They can review it. That's the whole point. But some refs are just too stubborn to say, I'm going to look at this. That's why I think for penalty decisions with VAR, it should be like American football. The coach has a challenge. He can challenge the penalty call. Basically, the VAR ref says to the official, this penalty could be reviewable. You might have missed the call. Then the ref should ask the coach, do you want this penalty review? You get one review for the game for a penalty. I think if you have one a half, then both teams are getting two penalties. And that's how I think they should change the penalty VAR because that's the only instance where VAR has been controversial is with penalty kick decisions. It works with everything else. I would say I think that's a fair fair way to look at it. Um, I'm not sure if, uh, <laughs> if FIFA will listen to you, but uh, I think it's an interesting way to look about it. It's definitely been a very controversial thing. We talked about it before the tournament that VAR was going to be a big story. It has been a big story, especially in this round of 16. We haven't had any real VAR decisions. There hasn't been a... Uh, the ref hasn't gone to the screen to check if he made the incorrect call or not. However, the non-calls, even with VAR, have been really striking, especially considering how many penalties were awarded because of VAR in the group stage. I'm still just thinking about Spain and Russia, so maybe I'm biased. I Whatever. Let's talk about, before we leave... I, I hope Russia loses. I'm just I'm being very honest about that. However, let's before we leave, let's talk about France versus Uruguay. It's the probably the most interesting stylistic quarterfinal we're gonna get. I mean, we still have to wait until everybody else is ready. But I think this is a terrible matchup for France. And while I think France is a pretty good team and they should make the, the semifinals and they should beat Uruguay, especially if Cavani is hurt. I think that they could lose this game. And I think it's like one of those French games where they were dominating possession, but they just 
lose the ball in the midfield either by Torreira or Vecino or Betancourt. Cavani or Suarez is on the break and he just buries the ball. Just like in 2014 when Uruguay scored against uh, England to, to win 2-1. I just feels, it feels like that kind of game uh, to me. What do you think? It does feel like that kind of game. It is very possible that Uruguay could beat France. I still don't know who I'm going to pick in that one. Defensively, Uruguay is the best team in the tournament. They have the makings of a World Cup finalist in that they have a great defense. They have two strikers that can put the ball in the net. I don't know. But if France loses, we're getting, I think, an unexpected winner because while Brazil was a favorite, people picked Brazil a lot just to, you know, say a different team will win. But I just see Brazil as more of an inexperienced, talented side that I just didn't think could win the tournament. So I think if France is out, we're getting an unlikely winner, guaranteed. Yeah, which would be insane. I mean, I think it would be appropriate for this World Cup, frankly. It's been a pretty great World Cup. I've had a lot of fun, uh, except for today. But in general, I've had a pretty good time. Uh, you know, let's let's keep looking at the positives. Let's before we go, just really quickly, give me your Brazil Mexico prediction again. Like, do you does today change anything for you? Do you think Mexico has any chance? Nope, two nothing Brazil. Belgium wins, Sweden wins, and Colombia wins. All right, great. But I think, but I think, but I think England has a chance to make the final. I agree with that. I think it might be coming home this year. All right, so that's uh, <laughs> that's the Top Flight Podcast. My name is Stephen Bailey. That's Ori Benatar. We'll be back on Wednesday, or Ori will be back on Wednesday with Ashley Anthony. And uh, everybody, enjoy your football. It's going to be a crazy round of sixteen if if today's any uh, indication. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.